Welcome to Reading for Attention, the weekly podcast where me, Paul, and me Bessie mate Sarah chat about a recent book whilst drinking a carefully selected beverage. Now, why have we committed to reading a book every single week and talking about it in a public forum? Well, the same reason me and Sarah do anything in life, for attention. Hey, Sersies. <laughs> Hi, Paulsies. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dead good, yeah. How are you? I'm good. I feel like we're way, way better than we were last week. Do you feel better? Oh, and that was bad, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. We both finished the podcast and then were immediately like, that was that was awful. We sounded just yeah. really grumpy and miserable. And then honestly, the editing that had to go on, I think I edited half an hour out because for some reason we decided that was going to be the longest recording we've ever done, even though neither of us were in a good mood and we had nothing funny to say. So success. Uh, we've both also stopped looking at the stats, so we don't give a shit anymore. We're just going to yeah. live in our minds, which in my mind, I've got, I've been on a number of talk shows. A number. I was just about to say, I was on Graham Norton this afternoon. Oh, congratulations. See, Thank I was you. busy. I, I was you. in America. Well, I did say that actually to Graham. He was very understanding, but he was upset that he went there, but he understood. Yeah, I, well, I, I did text him, but I was actually, it was it was tangentially to do with the podcast, but I was on Good Morning America to talk about oh. what's going to happen in the book world over the next te- five to ten years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just told them. Well, that is what we do. Yeah, it was only a 20-second segment because I said, well, it's, <laughs> it's going to be this. And did the show start, you did the segment and then end? Cause... Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's nothing else uh, on that channel that day. I do hate when that happens because it is hard to stay sort of humble. But it is. alas, we manage, we do manage. Especially when you get 280 grand for it. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm getting jealous of my pretend. I know, now I'm just jealous. <laughs> but yes, I'm feeling more jolly. I don't know how though, because you know, since we got back from Kent, which was uh-huh. how many days ago? Maybe uh-huh. only eight. Feels like longer. It feels but like a lifetime. I have only been out of the area actually twice uh-huh. once to get that MRI for attention and once to go for a walk on Hampstead Heath because I am so skinned. And um, Becca Black, she's she's a huge fan of the podcast. So I must Love give her. her a shout out. And the Black Sisters, Katie, Isla, Becca, I'll send you a goodie bag. Uh, <laughs> she was absolutely... <laughs> With a million brave. pounds in it each. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she, Becca's the one who took that pic of us on Hammy Heath. Yeah, God, but you I'm... look fit in that. You think? I think I look old. Well... Don't say I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's coming out of your mouth. Yes, but yeah, no, I've been a no bars, not not a one. Wow. I've, it's because I was just had no money. I've done pretty well, like not spending very much. But after well, Monzo you... told us I spent everything on alcohol. I like how I said alcohol star. I knew that you'd obviously put that star there, but it was just, it was I like, had not. shut up. I fucking had not. Monzo so, like, well done. <laughs> yeah, because what I do is, I've, and this just shows how bad with money I am. I paid £5 a month to get a special Monzo card, which I actually don't even like as much as the original Monzo card. Mm-hmm. And it offers you things like insurance and overdrafts and stuff. But I just wanted the card. And then the other thing you can do is categorize your spending more in a more granular fashion. So I created an alcohol category and it's just come to bite us right on the bumhole. So bye. <laughs> Bite I on just... the bumhole. <laughs> Ooh, <That'd> be hard. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what I'm playing at, really. Yeah, no, that sounds awful. Don't know why you do that to yourself. 
What about you? Have you been up to much since Kent? Kent? Well, you've been traveling a bit. You've got you're such a nomad. I know. I am. I'm a couch surfer. I went back to my mum's, which was really nice. Did I do anything else? No, I just went back to my mum's. It was dead good. The puppy is everything. Mm. Let me think if anything notable happened. Nope. <laughs> And now I'm back in Edinburgh and it's nice to be back. I did go to a bar on Saturday and I got quite, 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 quite drunk. Um, Yeah. Do you want to tell the listeners what you walked into when you got to your Edinburgh flat or or not? Oh, right. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Why did you give me wide eyes? Did you think I was going to say something else? I don't even know what you think I mean, but I'll ask you off air. I will. (laughs) I was like, holy shit, Paul, what are you about to say? Um, Yeah, so... Short story long, Paul. Before Christmas, there was a mouse in the flat. It's fine because Edinburgh is renowned for its mice. But this one in particular, it was a bit more ratty than mousey. Um, was. And, and also, he just wouldn't fuck off. Um, whereas most of them that I've seen, it's just a fleeting visit. And I don't mind them because they're small and they're cute. But this one was, he was a terrorist. Anyway, I established an active war zone in my flat and I played on full volume on my speaker this 10 hour Spotify track that's like a really high pitched bleeping sound that apparently humans can't hear but I can fucking hear it <laughs> um, but anyway I just listened to it for 10 hours and also the mouse, went... I'm imagining the mouse like raving along to it probably shagging nines in my bedroom perhaps <laughs> And also, whenever an advert came on, because I'm too poor for Spotify Premium, imagine it was volume 100 on my speaker every single time I almost went into cardiac arrest. Wow. But eventually it fucked off, but not before I'd bought these two mouse traps. And I just popped them on the floor. I put some of my fanciest peanut butter on them because I did think, you know, in my prison, your death row meal is going to be a nice one. Yeah, that's thoughtful. None of, yeah. So it was the crunchy Meridian peanut butter. Anyway, it was left untouched. So I thought he's got the he's got the message and he's hopefully gone into my next door neighbours. I know where I'm not wanted. Exactly. Anyway, came back from Christmas. You know where this story's going, don't you? Chekhov's mousetrap. (laughs) So intellectual. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. I walked into the flat and I just knew instinctively there was just something in my body that was like, don't go into the kitchen, which is where one of the traps was. So I did all of the stuff around the rest of the flat that needed to be done before I went into the kitchen. And also there was a distinct scent of curry, which I don't know if that's a symptom of my long COVID, but I was like, what is that curry smell in my flat? I don't know. Well, you actually don't know. Well, I think it, I think it's what I, like, I think it's what happens when I smell rotting corpse because of course I went into my kitchen the smell intensified and there was a dead mouse. Absolutely. It was like guillotined. It was, I can't even think about it because it makes me sad. I'm so sorry to that little mouse. <laughs> I just want yeah. it to be known. I'm really sorry. This is not the type of person that I am. I, I, I meant to clear them up and I just didn't. And also it wasn't even the same fucking mouse. It was one of the really small, cute ones. And I just chucked it in the bin. Oh, it wasn't have- the same mouse. Nah, man, it was. Oh my god, you didn't make that clear when you sent us the video. I thought it was the mouse. No, 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 no. That well, this is the thing. I'm pretty sure the mouse that I was trying to catch could have just single handedly held the trap up, scooped the peanut butter off, yeah, and also flipped me the bird at the same time. (laughs) I bet it was like to this little mouse. Oh, look, I see some peanut butter over there. Why don't you go and have a little taste? It's meridian, (laughs) no palm oil. 
don't even know it's environmentally conscious mouse <laughs> anyway yeah, i was really upset about it my uh, mum sent me a really nice voice note afterwards and she said he'll be in a nice cornfield somewhere mouse heaven and he won't be considered vermin there oh what a lovely thing to say isn't it, it did make me feel yeah better. i just assumed it was the same mouse and i felt really i mean i'm, I'm kind of undoing all my emotions now because i felt really sad because i thought yes i know you didn't necessarily like him being in the flat that much but i did think that you had made made friends a little bit well the thing is is when i got so we kind of fucked off a couple of weeks before christmas but then when i had covid and i was locked down i needed a mate so mm. i was like i'd nicknamed him boris because he was a that was ruining my christmas <laughs> and i was like boris come back babe um but yeah I, unfortunately <laughs> it wasn't even him he's probably lying in my bed right now yeah you know <laughs> that just brought back a memory of when you said you went in and you inst- instinctively knew, knew he was dead mm-hmm. so when i was i want to say 11 i got a hamster and i named her phoebe after phoebe from friends Classic. and she chewed the fucking bars constantly all night long all night long it was like rattling a cage it was it was like you know the the sound of like pulling out a oven tray Mm -hmm. but it's stuck it was like that over and over again and I just never really bonded with her and then you have to fucking take the the hamster out of the cage put it in the ball clean the cage which just takes ages and I just could never be arsed and but she was all right but she didn't really like being handled she was a bit of a dickhead and anyway I was playing Tekken I was playing Tekken as Julia Chang my favorite character in my brother's room and all of a sudden just stopped and was like, Phoebe's dead. And I went into the room and sure enough, there she was, a stiff little body. Oh. And I just remember taking her and bringing her downstairs, just this dead hamster. My brother was like, what are you fucking doing, man? Because I just had it <laughs> on my hand. And I would, all of a sudden just felt bereft and just yes. terribly guilty. And my brother says that it's because I forgot to feed her for a few weeks. I, in my mind, she had food in her cheeks, but I think I've just created that memory to make myself feel better. Yeah, be careful what you're saying, man, because this could be a case for the RSPCA. Oh, I know, I know. Well, I'll just, I'll I'll hand myself in, honestly, if, if it comes yeah. down to it. But then I remember we had a little garden and we buried Phoebe in a hanky in the garden and the, the clock was chiming for like 10pm or something. And it was like, bong, <laughs> bong. It was like a proper procession. What you, I was what crying. Done, what you should have done is stood and rattled a bacon like a yeah. a grilled tray outside in this is memory. for you Phoebe <laughs> oh, chewed some bars yeah all of us just chewing bars outside it was very sad <laughs> and I've never had a pet since of my own yeah understandably when I my first fish that I got on my sixth birthday it was called stripe.com when stripe.com died I had a day off school <laughs> <laughs> Oh, bless Stripe.com. When I got home from school, my parents had flushed it down the loo. There was no goodbyes. There was no graveside prayers. Just Mm-mm. fucking round the U-bend. I never got a chance. Nah, it's <sighs> absolutely awful. Pets died. Like. Uh, oh, we've gotten to sad topics again. So I think it's time to introduce this week's book, yes. which is The Right to Sex. Feminism in the 21st Century, which is a collection of feminist essays by Amir Srinivasan, who is a philosopher and the, I can't pronounce this word, Chikele Professor of Social and Political Theory at All Souls College, Oxford. And I've just looked at it and it's like named after this man. It's a very prestigious honour and she's the first woman to hold this title. So the title essay, The Right to Sex, was published in 2018 in the London Review of Books, I think. That's when I googled it. That's where it came up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this is our first 
published book of essays named after that essay. Um, and this came out in September 2021. And the essays discuss loads of feminist stuff, including porn, sleeping with students, rape culture, and the politics of sex broadly. So what, what does sex do in the 21st century? What does it mean? Um, and then I, I just stole these little bits from a website. How should we think about sex? Is it a thing we have and also a thing we do? A supposedly private act laden with public meaning? A personal preference shaped by outside forces? A place where pleasure and ethics can pull widely apart? I like that because I do think about how sex is so private but so public at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how should we talk about sex? So since Me Too... Many are fixed on consent as the key framework for achieving sexual justice, yet consent is a blunt tool. So to grasp sex in all its complexity, its deep ambivalences, its relationship to gender, class, race and power, we need to move beyond yes and no, wanted and unwanted. I didn't write that, but it, I think it's... Oh, I was going to say, whoa. Um, so that is The Right to Sex. And the drink is an Earl Grey martini because I wanted a sexy drink. And I think there's something sexy about an Earl Grey martini. Um, I really like Earl Grey tea. It took me a while. I think I did it for attention originally, but I do really like it now. Yep, and same. I made mine with Earl Grey tea, chilled, and then Grey Goose vodka. I got some for my birthday. And Ooh. then I mixed it with... And then I put some fresh lemon juice in quite a lot and shaked it up shaked it is that a word shook it up shook. and it's delicious I was expecting not to like it I just wanted like it was sexy but not going to be tasty but it's nice what did you do with oh, yours I just did the tea and then the vodka and I didn't do the lemon and now I wish I had because it does need something uh, it's, it's quite sweet. punishing it's mm. quite punishing mm. um, it's not sweet at all no it's like being kicked in the throat oh. I mean I, I like the taste of Earl Grey tea and that yeah. is the predominant flavour but then also the measurements were just it's a quarter of a cup of Earl Grey tea and three quarters of a cup of vodka which yeah I think that everyone is wrong about that every martini recipe is wrong I don't understand how that's the the ratio that is surely like an incredible amount of vodka to consume yeah I've just remembered I also put honey in the tea before I chilled it because I always have it with honey (laughs) Paul you could have told me any of this sorry I've totally I set you up for a fail because I told you at the end of the last episode that it's just Earl Grey and vodka and you were like well I found one with egg whites and lemon and I was like no 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 (laughs) Just don't include those. And then I have. So I apologize. Um, Mm. Right. What did you think? Oh, oh, last thing to mention. This is also a recommendation. Our second fan recommendation from Zaf. What did you think? Um, Well, first of all, it made me feel very, very, very thick. (laughs) 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 As uh, most nonfiction books do. But I mean, it is an incredible collection of essays. Very important. I thought Um, there's something quite like horrifying. Well, horrifying and maybe just a bit like alarming when you read because a lot of it deals especially in the first couple of essays with rape and sexual assault and it does feel like to be kind of well informed in this day and age we all know these statistics we all know the amount of people that are sexually assaulted and the amount of them that report it and then the amount of them that get justice or whatever but then the way that this was written especially that first essay there was like these really specific and graphic examples like recounts of of rape and then the next paragraph would be the statistic of like how common this is or whatever and just knowing that that's knowing that statistic allows you to like take a step back from it but then when you see these when you read these examples it's just um horrifying she says in the preface of the book that the 
idea of this book isn't to provide solutions. I'll read it. She says it better. Um, she says, in these essays, I attempt to dwell where necessary in discomfort and ambivalence. These essays do not offer a home. And I was definitely, I definitely felt called out at times, not just for like certain things that I've done, but just for certain beliefs that I might have internalised or held. But one of the biggest things that I left with after reading it was the question that you sort of, the question that she poses, which is that how much is this new sort of wave of feminism that's celebrity fronted mm-hmm. um and how and how much that that wave of feminism kind of focuses on simply consent because it's all about sort of a reclamation of like the female body and it's uh you know the whole my body my choice kind of movement and then saying that basically I can do whatever I want with my body and that means I can have sex with whoever I want how much does that pose a resistance to how political sex can be and all of the internalizations that the that we must have in who we desire that is like a trickle down effect of white supremacy and uh, colonialism and mm-hmm. sexism sexism um and i try to because it did make me feel i was like my brain hasn't been used in this way in a really long time i was trying to think of cultural like references that i could try and marry this argument up to and the one that i thought of immediately was love island because i think the main one, <laughs> one of the main arguments that she makes especially throughout the incel essay which is such an interesting essay yeah is um how much we can say like i'll have sex with who i want um this person is my type without recognizing that our type has been influenced by all of those things that i just mentioned and then that idea is then reinforced and reaffirmed through shows like love island where all they talk about is my type on paper mm-hmm. um and then you also see it again reinforced by those programs because there's absolutely no diversity in the people that are on them and when there is that, uh, like a tiny bit of diversity they're always the last people to be picked at the recouplings or the coupling up or whatever and especially the women especially the women well there hasn't ever been other than hugo last year there's never been a disabled contestant or i don't think there is i mean the lack of diversity in any other sense but in terms of race that is usually one or two black women and they are consistently sidelined by every other contestant back in my flipping undergrad days when i felt like i knew more about this kind of stuff i was quite obsessed with this idea of like celebrity and marketplace feminism and how much that's useful in terms of progressing the movement but also how much it simultaneously is regressive and problematic and she kind of puts that framework into every of every one of the essays yeah and I thought it was pretty eye-opening considering like I said at the beginning it's stuff that we think we already know about Mm -hmm. um and then you get like a really harsh few examples of it and you're like oh holy shit I think it's a difficult obviously it's a difficult task to write essays like this that people are going to engage with in the way that you want them to other than Mm -hmm. people like us who probably are open to well we're open to her arguments and we want I read things like this wanting to agree with it because I consider myself how many waves of feminism have there been <laughs> are I we think fourth wave four. so I think marketplace feminism is fourth all right okay well, whatever wave I'll just be the wave that you tell us babe um <laughs> <laughs> Well, she's. I think she said second wave. So, so I get confused with all the waves. But one of them was like the really sex positive one. One of them was yeah, whatever. But I think it's really a really hard task because the arguments are so nuanced, and she keeps talking about ambivalence. And I don't think people are used to or comfortable about talking these issues about these issues in those ways. So Mm -hmm. you can't be heavy handed about the way that you just. Well, you can be, and people are. And I like always to bring Good Morning Britain in 
again, I think any TV show that tries to talk about these these issues in an eight minute segment, you're really only going to get one extreme side or the other. You have to take out all of the nuance and it's basically just two people arguing with each other. And sometimes it's dangerous to try and introduce that nuance at the risk of people not understanding it because it sounds like you are against kind of both sides. So I think celebrity is a really good example. I think when Me Too happened, obviously people like us and lots of people are on one side of the argument. But if you then start to criticize the Me Too movement as being white privileged actually undermining the cause you know taking it away from the people the women of color who who founded that movement it sounds like you're criticizing the intention of those people which is Mm -hmm. in my opinion good generally because when you move away from intention I think we should be moving away from intention now I think you need to think about impact and I watched a video that had somehow passed me by but a few years ago loads of celebrities did a we take responsibility video and it was like Stanley Tucci and who else was in it I can't remember and it was this black and white montage it was like we take responsibility for the racism in Hollywood and I know the intention was probably good but it was laughed at on both sides like it was it was really undermining this idea of you know racism embedded in Hollywood and it was all white people I'm sure it was on purpose all white people because they're the ones who should take responsibility but it just didn't work it was just mm-hmm. it was just a bit of a laughing stock and I really think she does a great job of talking about why that doesn't work so if we move on to because we can we could never talk about all of these essays but if we just pick yeah. a few key points you mentioned incels which by the way was a was a beard of mine half for me because the first time I'd read incel on paper was in body parts not body parts <laughs> boy parts <laughs> And I was like, what's that? And I had to Google it. And I think I'd definitely heard that word before, like when the guy murdered loads of girls, but I just hadn't, it just had gone by me. I I didn't like clock that that was a word and what it meant. So incel means involuntary celibate. And what she discusses in one of her essays that actually the incel movement was set up by a woman in her twenties who had never experienced Mm -hmm. any sex. And I don't even think had kissed anyone. And she was really looking to the internet for a sense of community, other people who are in her position who could offer support. And and it was all supposed to be a nurturing environment. Then she left this you know, she stopped posting or whatever, for whatever reason. And she didn't see what the incel movement had become until this guy had, it was a couple of years ago, murdered loads of girls because he was so angry that nobody wanted to have sex with him. And this was his, he Mm -hmm. thought that sex was a right. He had a right Mm -hmm. to their sex. Mm -hmm. And the movement had gone away from being this community of supportive people. I think it was on Reddit to this horrible, abusive group of fucking sad little, you know, quote, unquote ugly boys who couldn't get a shag for love nor money and Mm -hmm. the fact that it had moved to a group of men had completely changed the culture of this group and she's apparently was apparently horrified when she saw that this was what her movement had turned into and I mean I'd say movement like she meant it to be a movement she just wanted to be online and have mates but when you when it goes to men and the culture of what it means to be a man in western society or in society in, in the whole world this we deserve sex this is what we you know how is it fair that these pretty girls get their tits out and go and kiss all the good and mad i mean the whole reason why the book is called the essays is called the right to sex is because well she's just posing that question does anyone have the right to sex because incel incel culture is this idea that they do have the right to sex but specifically sex with a certain set of people yeah so she talks about so it was elliot rogers this incel that Mm. um murdered a load of people um and he'd 
published well he'd not published sorry he'd written and then it was found upon his death like during the investigation this 107,000 word manifesto and he talks about hot blondes he talks like consistently about these hot blondes and she um because initially in the essay the right to sex that she published she got called out because she'd said like you know oh no was that Anyway, it was in the Coda essay and somebody had said, had given this analogy of um, consent being like a sandwich. So if your child had come home from school and had said to you, uh, everyone's sharing their sandwiches at school, but they won't share their sandwiches with me. At the end of the day, this person was saying, if your ch- if somebody doesn't want to share their sandwich with your child, then that is their right. And there's no, there's no right for your child to then just take a bite out of that sandwich. But what she's saying in this essay is that what isn't taken into account of these reports and also this sort of mass like mob culture towards incels is that people are so quick to like point the finger at the at the person and their immediate context to blame usually how their mother has raised them or the environment that they were raised in um without recognizing that it isn't it isn't a blanket thing that these men are getting rejected because there are plenty of women who have said I'll like I'm I'm here I'll have sex with you kind of thing but it's yeah. a specific type of women which is a learned inherited internalized desire from obviously like I said earlier from a trickle down from white supremacy and colonialism and she's saying that it's so easy to call these incels out rightfully but also not recognize the systems which have created these people and it's not saying that they obviously they are to blame but it's not as simple as saying that this person was a really terrible person and it's a a case in and of itself right so if we were to (laughs) put this in terms that I understand it's like Good Morning Britain, Piers Morgan barking on about incels and how awful they are and they should all be uh, in prison. This is completely hypothetical. But then that being shown on ITV, which is the same channel which then airs Love Island and reproduces this sort of mainstream ideal of beauty year on year on year, which solidifies in our minds what we should look for when we want to have sex with somebody and that is the uncomfortable space that she's talking about because to raise that point it sounds as if we are defending or justifying what these people have done as she is and she is not she is just making the point that the that the situation is so much more complex than that and we have to look to ourselves and the structures that we live in to see why this is happening and Mm -hmm. She does this in all of her essays and also this idea of right to sex. So there's a there's a chapter about sleeping with students. It's called I'm not sleeping with your students. And it talks about professors in, in, you know, really privileged, powerful positions who shag their students. And she's got examples in her own universities that she's worked in. Mm -hmm. And on the face of it, these people are all adults. They both have a right to sex. What's the problem here? Some people would say, and also there's not necessarily any legal implications that there wasn't at the time. But now there are, particularly in America, they've created all of these policies under which you can't do that. But then she talks about how, but it's a power imbalance. These people are de facto children in lots of ways, even if they're in their 20s. You know what university students are like. So actually, (laughs) these professors do not have this right to sex that they think they do. 
And that complicates things even further because it's not even necessarily to do with the law. Um, and also there's a point in that essay when either sh- sh- she recognises or someone has mentioned it previously that if it's a female student and a male professor, which she says is the most widely sort of reported upon thing, shock. then if you then, yeah, if but then if you make it law that that can't happen, are you then taking away the woman's right to choose who she has sex with? Yeah. Perpetuated once again, the idea that a woman cannot make decisions about her yeah. and this is where the different waves of feminists over the over the centuries have have vehemently disagreed so she talks a lot about sex work and um the criminalization of sex work and how that affects because of the structures of society it affects um ethnic minorities uh trans people so much worse and actually it causes terrible problems that are not solved by criminalizing sex work but some feminists second wave feminists will say well it's collateral damage really we need to criminalize it it's it, we can't have men paying for sex there then they're reproducing the environments that are good for them and and it just becomes this fucking mess and it's like mm-hmm. no wonder people can't agree and yeah that's and this uncomfortable space yeah uh, it's the same again <laughs> with that i can't remember the name of the the act that was introduced where if somebody calls the police on a domestic violence charge the police have to arrest the man usually i'm just going to say the man mm-hmm. without any like without further evidence other than the call Mm-hmm. But then instead of seeing an increase of people prosecuted for domestic violence, it actually, well, initially there was a huge increase. And that's why the, there's such a disproportionate amount of, first of all, people in America and second of all, black people. And then why that's then dropped off, because it means so many other nuanced dangers are involved with involving the police, this kind of privileged yeah. force that is available, but is only really available in any safe way to white straight cis people yeah oh god it's making me really riled up (laughs) yeah you know what sarah always says at the beginning of particularly non-fiction episodes i don't know what i'm gonna say about this book and then i just sit and listen to you and i'm like you got it you got it whoa um i mean there's there's a really fascinating chapter on porn and porn is another thing that has divided feminists over the years and for lots of different reasons. You know what it reminded, it completely reminded me of that I com- forgot about was in 2014, which was the year that I started uni, mm-hmm. they criminalized all of these sex acts in porn. And I remember yes. it being a big deal and I'd completely forgotten about it. Me it was, too. Exactly <laughs> it was just terrible. Yeah. It's just, that's just our classic millennial attention span. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it was things like uh, certain kinks like spanking and tying people up and shout, uh, saying wasn't, terrible things. Wasn't there like female ejaculation? Or, yeah, well, that's the or, thing. No, it was. It was, it was all. It was all about again controlling the female body. Well, wasn't it? It was. It, it was. So again, the intention. If you look at it with a really blunt vision, blunt mm-hmm. vision. That's a thing. Um, <laughs> it was banning abuse in and non consensual. Even if it's consensual, you can't. Um, I don't know, call people bitch in porn and stuff like this. But really what they'd also banned was female ejaculation because they banned, I can't remember the fancy word for it, but basically water sports. So they banned pissing on each other in in porn. Um, I don't know what that is. (laughs) Oh yeah, like you're not allowed to piss on people in porn. Although I looked and I looked, I typed in piss porn. No, I looked and um, it's been, weirdly, I think in 2019, the law was kind of overturned in, in one way or another. And now you can do all of these things, but I don't remember that being a huge story, which is yeah. strange, but yeah, you can't, you couldn't do that. And then it meant that 
the people who were making the laws, lots of them who were men, basically meant that female ejaculation was banned because they couldn't understand nor wanted to understand the difference between that and pissing, basically. Mm -hmm. So it was a huge (laughs) uproar because, of course, male ejaculation wasn't banned and, and, uh, you know, forms quite an important part of porn. (laughs) Some would say that, that men wouldn't want to get rid of. Well, what she how... says is that that's the end of the that's the end of the video. Yeah, and it's it, it's the surrogate man. So the man yeah. who's watching that sees himself as this person. So oh, with, and thank she was you, like, Lauren Bolvey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching, uh, the, you know, the man who's who's taller with a better body and a bigger, harder dick. And it's like, <laughs> of course, the man who's watching that is like, yeah, that's me, that's me. <laughs> and like, you know, doing terrible things to this woman. But by banning that stuff it was just made it even more misogynistic and yeah so that's a great chapter but my favorite part of the whole actually just to quickly mention Sarah mentioned the coda chapter and this is really good and it's a it's a nice breakup of the essays because as I said the right to sex essay was published in 2018 and there was lots of backlash because it was such an uncomfortable essay and as as I've said there's so, so much nuance to it and it's quite challenging so loads of people said because she talks about people's fuckability so she's like in our society white people are the most fuckable and she uses these terms and it is quite Mm -hmm. um it's quite it's quite inflammatory like deliberately so she's saying white people are the most fuckable by the way she's uh, she's not a white person as well so but white people are the most fuckable and then you go down the the chain and then the bottom is like um, is it black women are the least fuckable or something? Mm-hmm. No, no, they're not. They're sexualized. Oh, Asian, Asian men. men. And, and Can I just quickly interject? Yeah, yeah, of course. He makes this point that fuckability isn't about the way that somebody even looks. It's not no, what no. About that body is. It's about what that body will, the the status that body confers onto the person that is doing the, like is having yes, sex with them. But that is, that's the subtlety. That's the nuance. Exactly. And, in her essay, she wrote about that, but then she got all of these tweets and mails of people how dare, from a black woman saying, how dare you say that, you know, this is how fuckable mm-hmm. we are. But in this CODA chapter, she responded to all of those things really calmly and intelligently. And it was just, I found that, I read that chapter really quickly because she was, it was literally um, written as like, number one, this, and then number yeah. two, this. And she kind of answers them all and she doesn't always say like oh my god no you didn't get me you're completely wrong she'll sometimes say oh yeah I understand that point but this is it and and that I've never seen that before so that was yeah. just refreshing um but the bit that I loved the most was there's a quote at the beginning about from Adrian Rich and I did a module at uni on queer it was called queering utopia god oh. so fucking wanky but it was so all about uni. oh my god yeah but queer literature which I loved and about queering the world and Adrian Rich wrote this essay on compulsory heterosexuality and she's referenced quite a lot and I just love this idea because it really opened my mind when I feel like growing up as a gay a gay white Geordie guy like I didn't know anything else until I went to this really ultra liberal <laughs> university Mm-hmm. And then I read this essay and it's basically about, about how it's compulsory to be heterosexual in this world, in, in our Western society anyway. And actually, who knows what people would be if they didn't live in the cons- the constraints and the social norms of this space. And it doesn't just mean straight people. It yeah. means gay people, queer people too. And it was the first because I feel like you grow up as a, as a gay <laughs> being like I was born this way baby like Lady Gaga and the the rhetoric around being gay is this is how I was born it's nature not nurture and Mm -hmm. same with trans people this whole idea of being born in the wrong body but lots of 
philosophers and and you know queer people and are moving away from that now and being like actually it's not as simple as that we don't know if it's nature or nature probably both like we're living mm-hmm. in this society and you can't help but be affected by it and I started trying to be a fucking philosopher when I read this essay but I could not for the life of me articulate it as Adrian Rich did shock so everyone then thought I was suddenly like is Paul trying to say that being gay is a choice like I, I, <laughs> I just oh, couldn't no. I couldn't articulate it properly but I started thinking about my own experience. And really, since I came out at 16, I have had no choice but to live as a gay man. Bear with me here. I am a gay man. I'm not saying I'm not a gay man. But <laughs> that was it. That once you once I'd come out the closet, there was no other option for me. If I'd suddenly later in life realized, oh, actually, I've fallen in love with a woman, that would not be okay. Because in our society, bisexual men are not allowed unless they're just gay men, really, who shag women. Yes. Um, and also, that wasn't my brand anymore. Like, everyone had, everyone had dealt with the fact that... Paul was gay that's where I fit into their little box and now whether I like it or not I couldn't now self-define as something else even if later in life I'd I'd realized that maybe it's a spectrum and it's not it's not as Mm clear-cut as that and I just found that that blew my fucking mind when I read that because I just never thought about it like that before um so I think it's true it's all very Duridian yeah love (laughs) that well, we have to assign codes and Labels. meanings. Yeah, we have to put people into the, like, even if our understanding is like a web, we have to draw those connections in some way. And you can't, you can't just exist in the space yeah. of that web. And this, the the web is created by whatever so, social political context that you live in. And this is the exactly. one that we live in. And it's mm-hmm. different for women. I think different, you know, there's more challenges in one, in certain ways and not in others, but bisexuality and um in women has obviously been historically sexualized by yeah. straight men and it still is but mm-hmm. it's you know I'd, I'd imagine that there are more people who are out bisexual women and I might be wrong but this it just made me think about all of that stuff again and yeah. it's mad I saw a, I think it was probably like a tweet or something a couple of months ago and it, I mean this isn't the same but it kind of blew my mind in the same way where it was like there's no such thing as disabled people you are made disabled by the conditions that you live in not by your actual physical body yeah it's like and you could extend that to anything you could extend that to fat people you could extend it to gay people Mm -hmm. you can extend it to you know it's the world the the world that we live in this colonial white supremacist whatever society oh god are we sounding clever or sounding annoying i think we're sounding pissed (laughs) yeah this i mean uh I did put a treble in it. The other <laughs> one thing I've written down was this this grinder cat- categories thing, which is a big deal in and the queer world, although specifically the gay male world, I suppose. Um, I was just just fucking locked locked in before grinder. Got locked down too early. I never had the opportunity to explore my grinder. Um, oh, but oh, thanks, babe. I will not tell him. Um, but these grinder categories, so it's quite it's extremely common and normalized and accepted to just have categories on grinder where you're like no fats no femmes um what other things they say like th- so th- this mask is the whole for mask mask for mask like these right that's my right to decide who I want to have sex with it's my right to decide who I find attractive mm-hmm. and yes on the surface it is but you are then well number one you're part of a society that's made you feel like that and you have to interrogate that also I think a lot of it is internalized homophobia if you want in it you know when I was growing up all I wanted was a extremely ripped man with a drill you know who a straight man yeah who <laughs> punched me in the face and spat at horses or I don't know that's, 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 
I got <laughs> I got confused. I was thinking of that time when that Newcastle fan punched a horse. <laughs> Did you see him? You were like, fit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh my God, it's my dream, man. No, mm-hmm. but and that, that since I've got older and, you know, don't care so much about that, then it's my, what I find attractive has completely opened up. And if I, when you try and, you know, free yourselves from these cultural constraints, I'm like, yeah, why, why did, why do people think like that? And now that I, I have less internalized homophobia, I'm really not asked about really straight men and actually boring, like boring. get some fucking crack. Uh, <laughs> Learn again, how to dance for fuck's sake. And also the other, the other strata. <laughs> <laughs> Try to sound clever, Sarah. The other layer element component yeah. to that in the in grinder is that it's reinforcing this heteronormative world. So they are reinforcing the things that actually oppress them, mm-hmm. and it's just this stupid situation. And Patch it's twenty two, and it's not. I just find these people attractive because that's who I've find attractive it's like oh yeah right so you just live in a vacuum do you it's not yeah. all of these things that have been put on you your entire life that make you think that Asian men aren't attractive or that short men aren't attractive mm-hmm. or you know whatever it is um and again it's sort of this fuckability idea mm-hmm. <sighs> loves it loves it yeah, yeah. and what I, another thing I loved about this book is I was reading it and I looked online I was like 300 pages smashing got it on kindle I was reading it, reading it, reading it. It was going up like 2%, 4%. I was like, have I been duped? Is it 3,000 pages? <laughs> it finished at 54% because the other 46% was notes and references. That- and I was buzzing. <laughs> Doesn't that just take you straight back to uni? I used, oh, to, yeah. I used to get like a bit of a stonk on over how long my bibliography would be. Oh, me too. And one time I forgot to, in fact, it was the fucking Adrian Rich essay. I was like, (laughs) I have written the best essay that's Mm -hmm. probably ever come out of this university, if not the UK, (laughs) if not the world. And I was like, ready. Are you getting your passport ready for international tours? to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was ready for my honorary degree from every other institution. And I got my mark back and it was good mark. I was like, oh, great, great. I mean, probably not like famous mark, but it was good mark. And then just like, um, next time if you could just remember your bibliography because it is really important I was like (gasps) and I'd forgot to put the fucker in so I emailed her like here it is here it is like 20 pages of books I hadn't read um so yeah but anyway brilliant book enjoyed it thanks for the recommendation and yeah cheers to feminism and love island (laughs) really (laughs) really really well, uh, Love Island taught me the word gaslighting, so it's, it's, it's an educational show. You know what I want to talk about now, don't you? No. What do I want to talk about now? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happened in the news this week, Paul. I'll give you a hint. Yeah. Give me an A. Give a. me an S. S. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. I know. I know. <laughs> How did I forget about that? I don't know. Every time I've tried to bring up this topic of conversation via WhatsApp, Paul's been like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. International phenomenon Netflix show Cheer, which is back for season two after two years. Two fucking years. It was on before lockdown. I always picture myself watching it in lockdown, but it wasn't. So Chia is back. 
with a fucking bang. And I mean, cheer season one. I I've never felt so sick as when they were doing that last performance. I could barely watch it. It was. I felt like I was going to go out and do my inaugural tumble. Oh my god! Yeah, definitely. (laughs) The first ever tumble I've ever done in my life. I was like, shit, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Going to run to Daytona. (laughs) Can I just give you some context that when I. Yeah. I was watching it on my Amazon Fire in Vietnam. There's <laughs> a way, and I was trying to explain to a load of Vietnamese people this show. I was like, "You have to watch." They're like, "What?" They're just like, "We're not asked, babe." And I was like, "This is." But you will be. Yeah, I was like, "You fucking will be." You'll care who makes Matt by episode two. Oh yeah, who's your favorite cheerer? Do you know what? I've changed, I've changed, changed, changed my mind on this. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Mm. It's fucking Ladarius, and I'm not sorry about it. I love Ladarius too. And do you know what? I just think he could be the GOAT. And, like, you know how they've, in this season, they keep talking about all these, especially tumblers, because I imagine, other than being, like, chucked up in the air, tumbling is, like, quite fucking hard. Mm. They keep talking about these people, and they're like, is he maybe the greatest tumbler I've ever seen? definitely is he the greatest tumbler the world has ever seen possibly but they do that for they do that for every new tumbler that they introduce why so, do americans ask themselves questions and answer them by the way i don't know but it's fit i'm gonna start doing it <laughs> <laughs> would i like another drink maybe <laughs> am i gonna have one most definitely definitely <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite i mean i do like ladarius but obviously mine would have to be a girl Yes, I know who and, yours is. Well, I, I love them all. But oh, season right, one, my favourite was Lexi. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Absolutely love Lexi. I'm not going to ruin anything in season two. She does feature in season two. But obviously it's um, it's over nine episodes. And obviously there's loads of scandals. I'm not even going to talk about the Jerry thing because it makes me too sad. But mm-hmm. COVID hits. So it's two years, really. So there's <sighs> some people have to go. Some people stay. Uh, Gabby Butler just seems to be an eternal you know figure yeah I mean don't you have to still be a student she's definitely deliberately flunking our exams do you know what the reason why I love Gabby because I am a sheep I am a sheeple I am a follower until I die and in the first season when when they introduced Gabby I think the episode was called Gabby Butler and honestly and she had this full-on introduction where it was like it just showed her YouTube videos and it and all of the other team were like Honestly, I was watching Gabby tumble before I could even walk. And then she's on the fucking team. And I was like, that's like if I was a cheerleader and then Kim Kardashian just rocked up for tryouts. I'd be I know. Like, oh. I know. And the thing about what Gabby is, so she was obviously famous before Chia started in the cheer world. And then she was flawless in season one, fucking flawless in season two. And now she's like mega famous and Mm -hmm. she's still just dead nice. You know how, what I could not cope with, and this would end up being me, I'd be one of Mm -hmm. the cheerers. And because there's obviously loads of them who don't get featured on cheer, but are in the cheer squad. So you I feel so sorry for them. uh They'll just be like a shot of one of them. You're like, who the fuck are you? And he's been in 17 episodes. And (laughs) so there's there's now the famous ones and the non-famous ones. And the famous ones have all got agents. And Monica's like, oh, we've got to go to Good Good Morning America um, next week. Oh, we're flying to Texas. They're already in Texas. We're flying somewhere or other. We've got this opportunity. And the other ones are just there. I couldn't cope. I think I would, 
I don't know what I'd do. I don't know if I'd kill Sabotage. them. Yeah. I'd, I'd down the flight. I would I'd, plant That's the it. I'd show girls it. I'd get some marbles and I would just mm-hmm. accidentally drop them while they were doing a huge basket toss. <laughs> and it would You've be gathered. stolen that from me, the basket toss. <laughs> what did you say? I was absolutely howling. Your text is <laughs> saying, we, what did you say? <laughs> me and you if we were if we were on sheer we'd be a basket toss chewer <laughs> but, but i don't know who'd be the toss who'd do the tossing obviously you <laughs> i would not settle for anything other than the top girl when you said that to me i, was gonna... <laughs> I couldn't not be the top girl and then every episode that i watched after that you know how it like does a little dramatic <laughs> intro and then it has cheer and then the girl comes up where the h is i just <laughs> imagined you like well, that's the thing. I've got a, such a warped <laughs> sense of myself because I picture myself being petite and... You are? I know, but not really. Like, I'm five no, nine. I'm not four <laughs> for ten. I picture myself exactly the same size as Morgan. Like, when I picture me and Morgan linking arms walking through campus, she's actually slightly taller than me. So I'm thinking I can absolutely be the top girl. You just can throw me around like nobody's business. But can you imagine? I'd be twice the height of them. I'm not in shape. I'd fucking squash someone I like see. I'm just imagining you with your specs. My my glasses would be flying about everywhere. Then they'd come off and I'd be blind. I don't know how well this is going to translate to podcasts, but basically when I started working at the place where me and Paul used to work together and I actually took... I took Paul's old job. That makes it sound like I usurped you. Paul was promoted and I got his previous job. There was this post like drawing on the wall next to me and they'd all had to go. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. They'd all had to go to the, not had to, whatever. They'd gone to this football match and one of the activities, because it was like a community building event, was you had to draw <laughs> your football kit. And Paul... <laughs> Had worn, had worn every day since starting uni this yeah. yellow puffer coat with a fur hood and his bins to uni every day. Huge gag. <laughs> and his football kit was this puffer coat and these like denim shorts or something and these <laughs> massive glasses and it was just pinned up next to my desk. It was so accurate. It was the foot, you'd like sketched the hood on and everything. <laughs> All I remember is thinking when I first saw that, I remember thinking that is what true comedy is. Because you'd, <laughs> you'd done that without knowing if anyone else was ever going to see it. <laughs> Why was it on the wall, like a primary school? Yeah, I mean, Chia, I spend, my mind drifts because I just picture my, the, the one thing. If I could have had one wish as a child, it would be to be able to do a very professional tumbling pass acro- along the field. I just thought that would earn me so much kudos, stop yeah. all of the bullying. And I still think that today. So I'm picturing myself tumbling down the high street. Mm. Like, <laughs> honestly, I'm not lying. I'm, and I, yeah. it's all I want now. And then <laughs> do you keep thinking when you watch, because they're all rock hard. Um, they've got like 10 packs, like everyone. It's just so impressive. Even the ob- abs are yeah. offensive. The ones who look like 11-year-old girls, but with just rock-hard abs. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I'm like, right, that's it. That is it. I'm going to, that's going to be me. That well, is going to be me. I've hope of that. I'm just going to birth a prodigy. That's what I've decided. I think we're at that age now, aren't we, where we'll have to live vicariously. I'm going to be a cheer mom. And I, 
do you not care guess how many interviews I've done since I was the top girl and the best tumbler for the Navarro team since uh, season two four uh, uh, actually it's only been about two but I've I've been on a few different talk shows now speaking about how I am the greatest cheerleader of all time and then and how does that it. feel yeah they don't even ask me to prove it at this point they're just like because they know we can see your abs rippling through your roll neck oh god so jealous just talking about the one that won't smile because there's one in particular and it's like the whole storyline surrounding him is the fact that he just won't fucking smile will he smile will he not smile and they're begging him and begging him and begging him and you know how they do these little they're tickling him and (laughs) (laughs) they actually give him a geordie smile in the the last episode they just punch a blade between his cheeks and do you know what he deserved it no um but he said, he said in this little aside, because I think one of the interviewers was like, why don't you just fucking smile, hon? And he was like, I don't smile. I don't smile even like when I'm laughing or I'll smile when I'm laughing and then it's, it's like over. And then I became like a hawk. So even when he was in the background of shots, I was watching him because I was like, if he cracks a smile, I'm right yeah. into fucking Netflix. Yeah. And I'll tell you something, Paul, he didn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He just, I don't think he's got the muscles in his cheeks. And do you know what? I kind of respect that. He said it. And he meant it. Yeah. Because that's like something, this is like, especially after reading Absorbed and then Boy Parts, I'm trying to be more mysterious Mm. um, and it's not working, but that's definitely something I would say for attention. It's like, you know, I just don't actually smile. And then the next shot, I'd be like all teeth. Yeah. that's Yeah. Me too. I'd be fucked. I'm constantly smiling. And the problem is (laughs) that that sounded like a humble brag. I'm constantly smiling me. Honestly, just such a happy person. But I've got my laptop propped up on three books here. And I usually do that with you. But when I'm working, it's just on the table, which is a slight angle. And the vein is constantly, constantly out when I'm smiling. It's just, I catch (laughs) up. So I'm smiling at everyone like, it's okay. Like, yes, I like you and you like me, like reassurance. And then I'll just look at my little Zoom picture. And it's It's coming out now. It it is because I'm looking down. It's a hose pipe that is just (laughs) fucking (laughs) booming out of my head. It's honestly pulsating. I just can't get rid of it. It's horrendous. Yeah, cheer, recommend it, get it watched. Sarah? Yes. What's next week's book? What's next week's strong? Okay, Paul. Next week, we are going to be reading Richard Osman's The Thursday Murder Club. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Um, And we're reading it because, first of all, when I Googled it to write a little thing for right now... It had five out of five on Waterstones, four out of five on Goodreads, and five out of five on Asda Groceries. Oh. Um, yeah, and I feel like the readership of Asda is like us. us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, we're going to be reading it because he's actually your second best friend, isn't he, Paul? After he me. is. We'll, ta- um, we'll talk more about that next week, Cliffhanger. Yeah. And yeah, even if the book hadn't already done incredibly well, it, it's really important to support your friend's ventures yeah yeah I mean I'm, I'm doing it for him Not, he, he doesn't need it necessarily but I know he'll appreciate it exactly exactly just friends supporting friends mm-hmm. so I've not actually started it yet but when I googled it it said that it's about a load of pensioners that solve a murder mystery maybe I don't know I don't know if they solve it actually that's quite we'll find out but anyway okay fabulous I don't actually know anything about being old and clever 
I'm too young and hot for that, Paul. Oh, yeah. Um, so the drink for next week is going to be a callback. And in a turn of events, in a reading for attention first, I'm going to do the complete opposite. So because this book is all about the Jerry's. Yeah. I'm thinking back to when <sighs> I was a PD. <laughs> Just I don't know. If, I don't know if that one will catch on. <laughs> Funny though. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also because this is an entirely pointless drink. Oh yeah, yeah. Next week's drink it. is going to be an original blue WKD. Right. Fuck no. Off. Are you going to say that you knew that? I got confused and thought I was choosing this book, and I chose a WKD. Shut up, I shut up, shut swear up. to God, I thought the exact same thing as you. And I thought, what Shh. could we have? Like a childhood drink that has gone completely out of fashion. WKD. <laughs> oh, God, that's exciting. Right, we need to spend less time together, I think. I think more. I want to see where this goes. Absorbed. Oh, who's going <laughs> to absorb whom? Hopefully you absorb me. We'll absorb each other at the same time. It'll be half your face and half my face. <laughs> or we'll just disappear entirely and then all yeah. of our hopes and dreams will be dashed. <laughs> If we if we do half my face and half your face, then we can even out our faces so we can get rid of my mole and my vein. Yes. And then we, we can, can get rid of my side bite. We can get rid of your side bite. Perfect solution. <laughs> yeah, let's start inquiring at the Plazi Sergis. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, as Can't usual, we've it. gone way over, but at least we're in a better mood this week. Yep, so we've got readingforattention at gmail.com for of your thoughts and suggestions and compliments. And then we've got at readingforattention and follow us on Spotify and all of them places. Do you know what I mean? We still haven't had enough listens to get any uh, statistics on Apple. I don't know what they're expecting of us. <laughs> we're, not che- we're not checking that, are we, Paul? No, we're not, we're not, we're not. Deep down, what I'm thinking is it'll be more of a surprise when we hit a million and we don't even know. And then we'll get the call from... Who would you want the call from? Graham Norton, personally. Graham keeps coming to mind. Who else? I'd quite like... Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon's the fit one, isn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah SNL. Okay. I, we could do a skit on SNL, I think. Amy Poehler. That's who I want. Amy does Poehler. She have a, does she have a chat show? No, I just want her to call us. Oh, well, if we're talking about who we want to call us, Harry Styles, if you're listening, give me a uh, bell. What about Kelly Clarkson? That might be give fun. Give me your bell. You've just you're feeding into the structures of a misogynistic society there, Sarah. And on that note, we're gonna say goodbye. Who I have sex (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Right, yeah. Um, Okay. All right, we'll see you see you next next week, everybody there. See you all there. I'm gonna go and tumble off now. (laughs) (laughs) Love ya. Love you. Bye. Bye.